0: Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I love having these geeky conversations with people about new things. This week, I'm excited to introduce you to a roundtable talk titled, Women in the Ancient Near East and Israel. The conversation is between our very own Dr. Yushaya Gruber and Dr. Beth Alpert Nahai. I was so excited to hear this conversation. I actually wanted to be in the room when the conversation was had, but it's probably best I wasn't because I would have tried to interrupt Dr. Nahai is the Associate Professor at the Arizona Center for Judaic Studies. She is an archaeologist and a biblical scholar. She has written extensively about ancient religion and culture, especially the lives of women in ancient Israel and the Near East. Her books include Archaeology and the Religion of Canaan and Israel, and an edited volume that is titled The World of Women in the Ancient and Classical Near East. It is her focus on village life instead of temple or palace life that really excites me. So let's get into this conversation and start with discovering what kind of sources she likes to use for her work.
1: I've always been really passionate and fascinated by the idea of Israelite religion. And in particular, Israelite religion in its near Eastern context, that's where I began my graduate studies. That's what I focused on for such a long time. And in doing that, because as you noted, I am an archaeologist. Um, I use the Bible, of course, if the Bible is our main source, written source for knowing about Israelite religion, but there is a lot of archaeological evidence as well. And so I, was, I worked with that for quite a long time, but gradually I became interested um, for all kinds of reasons in what, women, what roles women played in society and what roles women played in terms of um, religion. So the Bible itself is a curated document, meaning it came through many hands. It's not something novel. I sat down, I wrote it, done. It's a document that, i can call it a document that was put together over a millennium. It has many, many different people involved in it. It includes all kinds of different materials. I'm sure your reader, your listeners, viewers are familiar with all of that. And so... The question is what does the bible tell us about women and women's religious behaviors women's belief systems and so forth and it definitely does include some information about that but for the most part the bible and um is centered on the male experience of religion it focuses on the temple in Jerusalem. It focuses on what the kings did, what the priests thought the kings should be doing or shouldn't be doing, and so forth. It's uh, So archaeology provides us with an alternative, which is not curated. Whatever is left in the ground, there it is. And so you would think that looking at archaeology, we'd have great opportunities to discover women, but that hasn't been the case until recently, because not only is the Bible a male-oriented, let's say, androcentric document, but the whole field of biblical archaeology has been a male-oriented field from its foundings in uh, the mid-19th century until quite recently, And often the questions have been about kings. Where did a king rule from? What did his palace look like? What did his gateway look like? What was elite housing like? How can we document biblical biblical history according to archaeological finds? Women were not necessarily part of that um, elite discussion in ways that we can identify women were more, uh, are more available in domestic settings um, and so it wasn't until archaeologists began and here, not until, I don't know, this century century really, began to really worry about domestic setting. How can we find everyday life, daily life, and then with daily life, of course, the lives of women, um, that we began to talk about women's lives and with that, of course, women's ritual practices and religious practices. Hmm. I I would say, of course, that not every woman is interested in ancient women. And of course, some men are interested in ancient women. But the first and foremost efforts to uncover women's lives, whether in the Bible or through archaeology, were efforts that were undertaken by women. And it really has taken a lot of work. It's been a long struggle in a way for the lives of women to be given the same professional value as the lives of of men. And so it's taken a long time for the subject of ancient women not to be considered marginal as opposed to the subject of ancient Mm -hmm. men or ancient men's accomplishments and so forth. So this is a discussion that's ongoing, but certainly women have, um, have, led, the, have led the charge on this one.
0: This is so true. All you have to do is go to one of the global conferences of biblical studies or archaeology and see who is presenting and what topics they choose to cover. It is heavily male-dominated. Like we said on the podcast two weeks ago with Dr. Howard, some stories, even in the Bible, are simply ignored or don't find their way to the top of the priority list, Now, this is slowly changing. There is a whole group of archaeologists like Dr. Nahai and Dr. Carol Myers and Dr. Cynthia Schaefer-Elliott, who are archaeologists themselves, but who are also choosing to look at the material remains found inside homes. The conversation around the shape of the home and how people used them is fascinating. Well, it's fascinating to me. And you can make educated guesses about how cooking changed through the years based in part on the shape of pots. Did the pots have handles? How wide was its mouth? Or as Dr. Nahai was saying, you can make an educated guess of spiritual practices of regular normal people in the home Based on where statuettes were found in the house. It is a great topic that more scholars are beginning to comment on, but this leads us to an interesting contrast that Dr. Gruber brought up in their conversation. If there is an androcentric basis of the authors, editors, and redactors of the biblical text, but there are also some stories of women in the Bible fulfilling significant religious roles. What do we do with that?
1: So absolutely. I mean, in in the opening scenes, if I can put it this way, where God first has a speaking role, he's talking to Eve and Adam as well. So the Bible Opens with the idea that women are um, able to access the divine and interact with God and throughout the book of Genesis we see that with of course Sarah with Hagar and so forth that women have the experience of theophany and and this continues um, there's no question that um, there's no question that women are able to are in some contexts presented as participants and that God reaches out to women as to men. The same with the stories that you mentioned of women who are barren and then give birth to amazing sons. Um, And there are a series of stories like that. Um, Maybe most prominent because it gives us lots of information is the story of of Hannah, who who goes to a sanctuary in a family celebration um, the sanctuary at Shiloh, with her husband, with her the second wife in that family, and who prays on her own and makes vows and has an amazing son, Samuel, who she dedicates to God. So the Bible doesn't not tell us about roles for women, but because most of the stories of religious practice, certainly once the temple is built and um, Stories that take that center around the temple and not only center around the temple but they dismiss the idea of the legitimacy of worship outside of the temple precinct, then in that way, women are sidelined. Mm-hmm. And definitely, it's the earlier stories in the Bible before the temple is constructed where we see women playing important roles. We have women who are mentioned as Prophet, Miriam, as Judge, Deborah, and so forth. But later on, um, the roles that women play seem to be more constrained.
2: Hmm, hmm. That's very interesting. And maybe we'll get into a little bit of that timeline as we go through some of your other works. Um, What if we bring in the archaeological evidence for a moment? Um, You edited a book called The World of Women in the Ancient and Classical Near East a very comprehensive title, and it has articles on a lot of topics. I mean, including cooking, baking, brewing beer, artifacts, looms, infant mortality, women's religion, wet nursing, marriage, color as a gender identifier, a lot of different things. Where does all this come from? Where do, where do we get information about all these things?
1: So that, that book that I edited um, was a collection of essay, a collection of articles that were f- um, first presented as conference papers at ASOR in a session I started on women in women in the ancient Near East. It was a subject that ASOR hadn't dealt with in any focused way until I got the session going. I have to toot my own horn there, but there were no there were just ASOR, it was not an ASOR topic and I started that session I think in nineteen ninety-nine. And now it's thirty years, it's an ongoing staple of the ASOR American Schools of Oriental Research annual meeting. So uh, that, that was a collection of papers. There are so many other choices that is, is how things worked out. And I think what you'll see in common with most of those papers is that people are looking at um, domestic archaeology. So if they're talking about food, if they're talking about baking, if they're talking about infant mortality, if they're talking about all these kind of topics are topics that are developments from, um, not every topic in that book, but those kinds of topics develop out of um, this really new sort of study of archaeology, domestic archaeology, um, which has grown exponentially um, in recent years. Uh, because the home, not that all women were always at home, and not that... Um, women, it's it's a complicated topic nowadays because nowadays we live in a world where women are pushed to be out of the home and where being outside the home is considered a virtue and being a homemaker is less so a virtue. And we understand this in our time as something generational and, you know, the model of the 50s and 60s has changed and, you know... Now here we are in a whole new world where women have to do everything and not just some things. And, and, and so if when I say that women's locus, the main place where they were was at home, it's not that they were sitting around watching soap operas and microwaving dinners. Um, they were working alongside men and decision make, making decisions alongside men There was no household that, we can talk about patriarchy, it's actually not a subject I personally have a lot to say about. There were definitely some ways in which society, um, the men were the decision makers, but when it came to household life, decisions were shared. A woman would know how much grain needed to be turned into wheat, I I mean into bread during the course of a year, how much fruit had to be process dried and preserved or how much wool had to come in in order to make enough clothing or curtains or whatever was necessary for a family and so forth. So the decisions about how to plant a field, how much livestock to raise and so forth were not um, decisions that were made unilaterally by the male head of household. These were collaborative decisions. And so from that perspective women and men together joined to make households happen and to make them thrive. And people, of course, lived maybe in a nuclear family, but with all other members of that uh, extended family in close proximity, unlike nowadays, where we're scattered across the globe. Who the heck knows where all the people in one's family might be at any particular moment? But we're talking about a stable society where people resided in the same structure, the same four-room house, for generations. This is what was the inheritance, the nachala in Hebrew, and why it mattered, because you needed the house, you needed the land around it, and you needed the community in your village, in your town. And this was how society worked. So the decisions women made at home and the decisions men made at home were mutually important.
0: Don't worry if you didn't catch the name of her book. I'll create a link to it and to the complete roundtable talk conversation with Dr. Gruber in the show notes of the episode. So if you're listening on your phone, just scroll to the bottom of the link and depending on your app, you might actually need to hit the button See More, and then you'll find all the links there. I'll even add a link to a podcast I did ages ago with Dr. Cynthia Schaefer-Elliott about how household archaeology helps us understand Israelite lifestyle.
2: You've, you've written on the Bronze Age, Iron I, Iron 2 you know, a long period of time. It's hard to formulate a question that, that covers what I want to ask, and, and it will probably sound overly simplistic. So take you know whichever piece of the puzzle you want to address, but does the Canaanite background that's found in archaeology with regard to daily life and women and so forth carry over into the Israelite period? In other words, are there connections across that time period, or, or do we see significant shifts?
1: I think more connection than shift and that's because the basic way of sustaining life agriculture, animal husbandry, raising vegetables, some you know small orchards for um, olives, some you know, grow a bunch of grapes those don't shift over time. And so that dynamic is going to have remained stable even as. Some other cultural aspects of society um, may have shifted. You know, we see from late Bronze Age into Iron Age, different settlement patterns in Israel, for example, more of an emphasis on small settlements in the central highlands for the, you know, start for the building and, and the existence of the nation of Israel in ancient times. but people were doing the same things, whether they were living in a, a village near Yokniam or they were living in a village near Jerusalem, they were still sustaining their lives in the same sorts of ways.
2: Hmm. Hmm. What about in Jerusalem though? Cause you have an article on that, a world of possibilities, Jerusalem's women in the iron <laughs> age. So how did, how did the urban life of women in the capital differ from the villages?
1: So, that article. I have been spending so much time thinking about the countryside and thinking about daily life, and I mean, I began thinking about daily life a long time ago, and found myself stunned originally that people who wrote about daily life often forgot that women had a role in daily life, and and as most books in our field were very um, male oriented. After spending a long time thinking about daily life in a different project altogether, um, I I was studying the archaeology of Jerusalem by way of the women who are archaeologists who have excavated in Jerusalem. a completely different, very modern topic for me. And as I spent my time thinking about Jerusalem and and looking at the archaeology of that city, I began to wonder what was it like for women who lived there because they were in, you know they were in the center of it all. And many of them were members of an elite community, and others, of course, were the workers who made the elite community's life so nice. And so I, be, I, I wrote that paper. It's really more biblical in a way than archaeological. I'm not looking at ancient houses in Jerusalem and analyzing their contents. And that's really hard to do because of all of the overbuilding in Jerusalem from over the course of millennia. But the Bible has a lot of rich ideas about how women were part of the fabric of life in Jerusalem, in the palace, and also in, let's say, something like the support services and I don't, and so it was interesting to me to pull together that kind of information to consider where does food come into Jerusalem from? Where do they get their wine? Where do they get their oil? But I mean, those sort of daily life activities are, are part of what happened. But also, you know, there were women in the palace, and, and the Bible is written which relatively there were stories about women in those palaces. So um, the daughters of kings and the servants who were there. And so the, I did something that I'm not normally accustomed to. Do. I just did a big sweep through the Bible and I did it like an in-gathering and mm-hmm. um, brought in what kinds of information I could put out there to say there will be some people, I'm sure, who will disagree and say that's too broad a picture, or it's too rosy a picture, whatever it may be. But I just want—I I wanted to—I don't know, maybe I'm in New York, or I wanted something that was urban and um, put that out there as well. And what I discovered was that the Bible really is rich with ideas about. Um, women living in Jerusalem and not only with men living in Jerusalem. That was a corrective to my um, Hmm. older way of thinking about things. And it was really valuable for um, me to do. And thanks for having looked at that.
0: Next week, we will get into more specifics about lifestyle with the challenges and contributions for and from women in Israelite society. And if you can't wait, simply head over to IsraelBibleCenter.com where you can listen to this roundtable talk called Women in the Ancient Near East and Israel. While you're there, sign up as a student and start earning credit towards Israel Bible Center's certificate program in Jewish context and culture. To make it easy for you, I'll just add a link in the episode notes of the show. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible.